Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Scripture reading will be from John 3, 16 through 21. It's on page 940 in your pew Bibles. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, and his deeds may be clear, clearly seen that they have been done in God. Good morning, church family. It is so good to see all of you here today and to see our guests with us today. Uh, we have several, and you are uh, our honored guests. We honor you uh, in being with us today. Uh, welcome to the great church. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that you will be with us not just today, but tonight too, and Wednesday night, and next week, and all of the service opportunities that we have for the rest of your life on this earth, or until the Lord comes back, whichever comes first. Uh, we know that you will be blessed, and what we have all been doing this morning is the most precious and special thing, probably, that we will do all week, extremely important, uh, to come together and worship God. But remember, uh, Sunday is not the only day that we are the church of the Lord. Uh, we come here to worship God and to be equipped, to be spiritually fed, so that we can go out into the world this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, all seven days of every week and be servants of Jesus, to share the gospel with those around us, and to live in a way that will enable people to see the light that God has caused to be in us. Those of you that have been here know we uh, have begun uh, this 2023 focus for Him, in which our whole year is focusing on Christ and who He is, what He's done, and the, the call that we have to be His people and to serve Him and what that means for our lives. And the first series of this year was Son of Man, in which we spent the month of January focusing on the humanity of Christ. And so in the month of February, we begin our next series, Son of God, in which we are focusing on the deity of Christ, the fact that Christ is God. 
I want us to think just for a moment about what offspring means to us as human beings. Those of us who have been blessed to be parents, uh, all of us in here are the offspring of someone. So if you can't relate to being a parent, you can nevertheless think about what you mean to your parents and to your family. But, but a, a son or, or a daughter means several important things. First of all, our children, our offspring are beloved to us. We love them very much. And I think any parent worth his or her salt would gladly lay down his or her life a thousand times over for the sake of their children. I know that's true for me, and I know that it's true for all of you as well. So we love our children, and having offspring is, well, it's a focus of our love. And children, offspring, well, they provide us hope for the future. Uh, they give us purpose. Uh, they give us a reason to get up and go to work. <laughs> uh, for many of us, if there weren't mouths to feed and heads to put a roof over and backs to put clothes on, there would be some days in which we would just think, nah, I'm not doing it today. Uh, but with mouths to feed and and heads to put a roof over and backs to clothe, well, we get up day after day after day and we do the things that love demands that we do. Paul tells us if anyone will not provide for his own, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so, so offspring are motivation, they're purpose, they're a reason to work. And offspring carry on our family name or our family lineage. We're able to see ourselves in our children, our parents, in our children, our family members, and our children as they move forward. Uh, even those that are not our blood offspring, adopted children, they, they carry on the culture of our family into the future and the family name into the future. And so, again, it gives us a sense of being able to have our lives extend beyond the end of our mortality because we can keep living through our offspring. The teachings that we give them, the examples of our lives will continue to live on. So, for better or for worse, there will be a little bit of Josh Pappas in this world 100 years from now if the Lord delays its return. You're welcome, late 21st and early 22nd century or however that goes. You're welcome. But I, I'm kidding, of course, but I mean, it, that's part of the joy of having offspring is knowing that we can affect the future in a, a positive way. But the essence of a son or daughter is really this. And this is where theology comes to play in the consideration. This is the most important fact about what an offspring means to us with, with the Bible's perspective, specifically when we think about Jesus in mind. Whatever you are as a parent, that's what your son or your daughter is as well. They partake of your very nature. My children are my wife and me. That's exactly what they are. That's exactly who they are, and that's who they will always be. And the same thing is true for your children. And the same thing, brothers and sisters, is true about Jesus. The inspired writer of the book of Hebrews tells us this passage, which I think encapsulates this truth about Jesus as God's offspring, as well as any in the whole of the Bible. Verses 1 through 6, we can read together long ago at many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. In other words, everything that God made, now Jesus inherits. It belongs to him. Through whom, that is through Jesus, also he, God the Father, created the world. God the Father created the world through the person of and the agency of Jesus our Lord. And Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God. 
In other words, whatever radiates from God, his glory that radiates from his person, that is Jesus and always has been Jesus. And he is the exact imprint of his nature. For illustration purposes, if you were to make God into a stamp and you were to stamp that, that's Jesus, the exact imprint of his nature. When God's nature imprints itself into humanity, Jesus, it's Jesus. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Here's a great question that the writer asks. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? The answer is none. Only to Jesus has God said those words. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And my friends, if the angels of God are called to fall down on their knees and worship Jesus, then those of us who, like Jesus was during his earthly ministry, as Hebrews 2 teaches us, who are at least for a little while lower than the angels, then brothers and sisters, it is our lot in life and our purpose in life to fall down and worship Jesus, the Son of God. He is our God and he is our Lord and King. When we think of the Son of God, we ought to recognize that one of the great evidences that He is, who the Bible says that He is, is the fact that no one has affected life on earth in any way comparable to Jesus of Nazareth. Now, any of you history buffs, and there are a few of you, you know, we could go through today if we wanted to in an exercise, and we could just, we could come up with all of the famous people that have ever lived, all the power, most powerful people that have ever lived. Think about all the power brokers in the world today. You know, we, we often think of the past empires and all of their glory as just really grand, but I think probably it's true that the most powerful people who have ever lived, that is, with their ability to affect things globally, are on the planet today, not in the ancient world, today. And so you take all the power brokers in the world today, put them in a room, and talk about all of the things that they've accomplished and all of the things that they can make happen just because they want to make it happen. And none of them will be able to affect this world the way that Jesus has, not to a fraction of the degree that Jesus has affected this world. Well, just think about the fact that it's the year 2023 A.D., and I hope you know what A.D. means. Some of, some of you may not, but it, it is an abbreviation for the Latin phrase Anno Domini, which means in English, the year of our Lord. And so when we say A.D. 2023, we're saying in the year of our Lord, 2023. Of course, now, because it's not politically correct out there in the secular world to say A.D. on everything, because when you say 2023 A.D., you're saying Jesus is Lord, whether you recognize it or not, whether you like it or not. And brothers and sisters, I will continue to use A.D. because that's exactly what I'm saying. Jesus is Lord, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not. But even if you are, you know, writing for some secular source or whatever, and you're compelled to use the modern C.E., uh, current era, 
contemporary era, however people define that. Again, what, what is the dividing line between B.C. and A.D. or B.C.E. and C.E.? What is the dividing line? But Jesus, Jesus is and forever will be the dividing line. And I want you to recognize that what Jesus has done is he has taken control of time itself, which he in fact invented. He invented it. Time is his. He has put his stamp on it and said, you'll tell time. You'll tell the role of years based upon my life. That's what Jesus says to the world, and the world has no choice but to accept his sovereign rule in that regard. Nobody has affected this world like Jesus has, nor ever will. When we make the good confession, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God which most of you in this room have made. Some of the children here are getting to the point as they grow and, and grasp the basics of the faith, and they're probably already confessing that, you know, in their, in their lives, but at some point they'll stand before uh, a group of Christians and they'll, and they'll make the good confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And every Christian in history until now has at one point in time made that good confession. But we need to think about what we are in fact confessing. What does it mean when we say Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And I believe that that's true. Well, we're saying that Jesus is certainly human. And we talked about that again in January. And if you weren't here and you missed that series, not just because I preached them, but because of the material that was preached, get out on our Facebook page or our YouTube channel and listen to that series of sermons you need to. Because it lays a groundwork for what we're talking about in this one. But... But, but we mean that. Jesus is certainly human. He's a man. He is king. Jesus is savior. Jesus is Lord in every meaning of that term. And it, and it has several different nuances of meaning, but he is Lord. Jesus is our high priest. We also mean that Jesus is God. And that's going to be the emphasis of this series, that Jesus is a man, but Jesus is also God. And as fully as Jesus is human and can relate to our nature and has taken our nature upon himself and has lived it out perfectly in every way, it is also true that Jesus is God, God being a man. And when we confess, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we are confessing, I believe that he is a man, but he's more than a man. He is God. And therefore, he is to be worshipped by me and by you. In this series, we're going to ask four questions about the good confession. We're going to ask, first of all, what, does it, what do we mean when we say this? Next week, Lord willing, we're going to ask, what is the evidence that this is true? In other words, what is the evidence that Jesus is deity, that he is, in fact, God being a man and not simply a mere mortal man like the rest of us? Number three, how do we deal with the objections of unbelievers? We're going to I'm going to use some of the maybe uh, most popular objections to the deity of Christ, and we'll talk about that and explore those, and, well, frankly, we're going to refute them. I'll just go ahead and let you know that before we get there. The final week of this series, what does all this mean to us? And there are four passages in the New Testament that we're going to focus on each week to help us kind of get to the point of each one of these lessons. For today, it'll be John chapter 1, which we'll look at verses 1 through 5 and then verses 9 through 14. Again, next week, Lord willing, we're going to focus on Romans 1, verses 1 through 6. Hear what Paul has to say about this. And then we're going to come back to John for the last two weeks. John 3, 1 through 15, and then the final week of the series, we'll look at that great passage that we'll be reading as our scripture reading every week this month, John 3, 16 through 21. Probably the most well-known and beloved passage in scripture, but in some points misunderstood. 
We'll explore that together, I hope. For today, let's open our Bibles to the book of John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 for the sake of time. We're going to not get the whole of the context, but we're going to skip down to verses 9 through 14 and listen to what uh, the, the apostle that Jesus loved, John, the closest disciple to Jesus during his earthly ministry, has to say. All right, John 1, beginning in verse 1. Please listen to the reading, or if you can, read along. It's page 938 in your pew Bibles. The beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Down to verse 9. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse 14. And the word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Man, that is a powerful, powerful passage full of a lot of things to unpack. Let me summarize, first of all, that, that this is uh, a brief but very deep statement of the doctrine we call the incarnation of Christ. And uh, for those maybe new to that concept, I introduced, I introduced the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ last month in that series. But incarnation, of course, means taking on a carnal nature, nature that is becoming flesh. So when we talk about the incarnation of Christ, we're talking about how the Spirit of God the second person of the Godhead, here called the Word of God. So the person of the Godhead, of the Godhood of deity, known as the Word of God, the eternal Word of God, the second person of the Godhead, became a human. He took on human flesh and became a man. That is the incarnation of Christ. And the doctrine is simply teaching that truth to whoever will listen. And so we, we talked about that, that, in fact, God became a man. But, but in this series, we're going to focus on the fact that God became a man. That Jesus is, in fact, God in the form of flesh. God in the form of man. And so this passage teaches this truth. And it tells us some of the, well, some of the sad details as well as, as the, great, uh, the greatest news that has ever been shared about the incarnation of Christ. He came into the world, but the world did not recognize him. The Romans, they didn't recognize that this was their maker. Listen, that the Romans did not recognize that it was their maker into whose hands they were driving those nails. They were not able to perceive that it was their God whose feet they were piercing. They scourged. They mocked. They spat upon. They put the crown of thorns on his head and beat him with reeds. 
And that's why Jesus, dying on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The greatest sin conceivable was what they were doing. Jesus said, they just don't understand. Father, forgive them. He came to his own, the Jews, and his own did not receive him. Oh, there were a few disciples that did. But by and large, his own people, the Jews, God's chosen people, rejected their Messiah. And it was their voices in unison crying out on that day, crucify him, crucify him. But, you know, some of the greatest things in the Bible are those, those statements in which we, we hear a, a, an unhappy truth, an uncomfortable truth, and then there is, but here is the good news. As many as receive him. And that was true in the ancient world, and it's true today. And this is the good news. This is the gospel. As many as receive Jesus, that as many as believe in him, he gives them the right to become the children of God. What does an offspring mean to us just as mere mortals? We talked about what that means. That's what Jesus means to God for sure. But in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we are brothers and sisters because Jesus has given us that right. Because in Jesus we have become the sons and daughters of God, his offspring. And now we mean to him just what Jesus means to him. Now we'll unpack that and explore that more in, that, in this series. But man, just, just let that thought sink in for a moment. All through January we ask, well, what's the value of a human being? Huh, what is the value of a human being? A human being that trusts in Jesus Christ and has accepted his lordship, the, the value of that human being to God is inestimable. It is beyond the value of the whole of this world. Brothers and sisters, I, I want us to, to focus just to make sure that we understand exactly what is being said. Because there are folks in the world today who will uh, fraudulently speak in the name of Christ who will actually deny that Jesus is God being a man. They deny the deity of Christ. Uh, probably foremost among these are our friends who call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses. Nothing uh, against any of them personally, but their doctrine falls under the category of what the Bible calls anti-Christian. If you deny any of the truths about Jesus himself, those are the core truths of the faith. You are not a Christian if you deny the core truths about Jesus. No matter what you say you are, you cannot be a Christian and deny the core facts of the gospel. And one of those is that Jesus is God being a man. And so I just want to get into the Greek just a little bit today to make sure that we understand exactly what John by inspiration is saying in this beautiful passage. In John 1.1, the ESV renders it this way. In the beginning was the Word, the Greek word logos, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Transliterating the Greek in arche in halagos. Kai halagos in prostom theon, kai theos in halagos. That is the, the phrase, the sentences it is in Greek. And you can see on the screen that there are three instances of that word ain, just en in English, different from the n that starts the sentence, but we won't get that. But three in red there, three Greek words, ain, each one of them is a form of the to be verb, all right? The verb to be, all right? And the tense in Greek that it is in is the imperfect 
active, indicative, tense, third person, singular. In other words, he is, he is, he is. Or in this case, past tense, he was, he was, he was. Most of your Bibles in English just simply put in the word was. In the beginning, was. Literally, in the beginning, he was. Okay? Now, let's think about what the imperfect tense does in Greek. Because in order to get the, the literal meaning of John 1.1 and the other statements in that context, we, we got to understand what that tense in Greek actually does. And, and if, you'll, if you'll pay attention, I'm not asking you to master Greek. We'll make this simple. I hope that you'll understand what I'm saying, all right? So the imperfect tense has the following features. It only occurs in the indicative. Of course, that's true in our passage. And it indicates imperfective aspect. I know you all know what imperfective aspect is. What that means is, is it indicates a process, something that was ongoing in the past that did not reach a final or completed state. That's what the imperfect means in this sense. Imperfect uh, aspect means that it's ongoing action. Action that we're looking at, a period in past time in which action was already ongoing and continuing to happen. All right? It's difficult for us to convey that in Greek in a concise way. And that's why in our English Bibles in John chapter 1, we just have in the beginning was the Word. And that's all we got there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But if the Greek word, the meaning of that tense were to be perfectly translated into English, in the beginning the Word was already being and continuing to be God. That's what John, by the Holy Spirit, is literally conveying. In the beginning, the Word was already being and was continuing to be God. That's what the imperfect indicative means in John 1 verse 1. And verse 14, And the Word who was already and continuing to be God became flesh. Our friends who deny the deity of Christ are most severely mistaken in their misunderstanding of the Word of God. I wish I had time to go into more of how their errors, the so-called Jehovah's Witnesses' errors, continue in chapters 2 and 3 and, and so on. Uh, but that's sufficient, I hope, to make the case for you and to understand what exactly is being said in this passage. In other words, Jesus is Emmanuel. You know, we, we've talked about the great messianic prophecy of Isaiah 7 verse 14 in which it, it was told to our ancient brothers and sisters in the faith that the virgin would be with child. And we would call his name Emmanuel. And some versions even go in and give the translation of that Hebrew, which means, or which is translated, God with us. That's literally what the word means. And so Jesus' name is literally God with us. And that's who he is. That's what the prophet foretold that he would be. And that's what the New Testament confirms that he is. And John chapter 1 verse 1 affirms this very thing. And so John doesn't use the terminology that Matthew uses. Matthew's writing primarily, at least at first, to a Jewish audience. And so Matthew's gospel, he often says, and so was fulfilled, and thus was fulfilled, and so on. All of these messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfills. John doesn't say the word. He knows you've already got the gospel of Matthew by the time he writes. He just gives us just this deep exploration or explanation of exactly what that looks like and exactly what that means. 
And so Jesus is the Son of God. That is the good confession. It is our belief. It is the foundation of our faith. If that statement is not true, we're wasting our time today, brothers and sisters. But thank God that statement is true. And therefore, everybody who's not at church this morning is wasting their time today. And that is the reality. And so we ask the first question of the series. What do we mean when we say this? Well, we've already seen what the passage tells us. We, we kind of already get the gist, I hope, but, but let me make sure that this is all digested and broken down in, in a, you know, easy to swallow doses. First of all, when we say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we mean that His humanity had its beginning when He was miraculously conceived in the Virgin Mary's womb, but that His existence never began and will never end. That's one of the things we're affirming when we say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Another thing that we're affirming when we say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is that He is, in fact, eternal God. He is, as we often say, the second person of the Godhead, of the divine Trinity. And He has forever proceeded from the Father as His true and unique Son and forever will. He shares in God's perfect essence. In other words, the theological truth that the Hebrew writer is hinting at when he says He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is expressing what was uh, by the ancient brothers and sisters in the faith in the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th centuries. He, he, the Hebrew writer is expressing this truth that Jesus eternally proceeds from the Father. So Jesus did not merely become the Son of God when He became a man. His status as the Son of God was fulfilled prophetically when He became a man. Jesus being God never actually changes he has always been the Son of God. He has always been the radiance of God's glory. He has without beginning and without end forever proceeded from the nature of God the Father as the second person of the Godhead as His divine Son. And so He will forever remain. He shares in the perfect essence of God as His unique Son. A third a thing that we mean when we make the good confession uh, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is that Jesus is now uh, for, uh, human and forever will continue to be human, but that He's always been and will never cease to be God as well. We're, we're affirming the dual nature of Jesus' existence, fully man, fully God. And finally, what do we mean when we say that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, we mean this, and I'm asking you really to let this sink in. It's nothing mind-blowing. It's not hard to grasp. It's a simple statement of truth. But it might be hard for some people in the world to receive. And it's certainly not a politically correct statement, but brothers and sisters, so many things that are in fact correct are not considered to be politically correct. And therefore, this statement is true, and we live or die by it, brothers and sisters. It is absolutely the cornerstone of our entire hope. Our Savior and our leader is greater beyond comparison than any other religious leader or founder in the world at any time in history or that ever will arise before Christ comes again. And all of those so-called religious founders and leaders, whoever it is in the world, we're talking about the so-called prophet Muhammad. He falls under this category. Go back to the Buddha. He falls into this category. The Baha'u'llah falls into this category. 
In any person that claims to be a founder of a religion other than Jesus Christ himself falls into the category of being a false prophet and a failure because every one of them has one thing at least in common and that is that they are not God, they are merely man and therefore they are dead and their bones molder in this very earth today. Therefore their religious system has not been able to solve the primary problem of mankind which is sin and its consequence death. And if you do not have a religious leader and a savior who can deliver you from sin and its ultimate, con, uh, ultimate con, um, consequence, I almost forgot the word, <laughs> happens sometimes. But if you don't have a savior that can save you from sin and its ultimate consequence, death, you don't have a savior. Brothers and sisters, does that make sense? What is the point in following a religious leader if all that the good that you do perishes with you? What is the point? Why try? Man, with Jesus Christ, we have got every reason, every reason in the world to wake up every day and to thank God for the fresh slate that grace gives us, for the new start that grace gives us, for, for the purpose in life, the meaning in life, that Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior and Lord, gives us. And every single day, we're able to awake with joy because we know that whether we succeed greatly or whether we largely fail in this life, if we make it to the end of this life still living up to that good confession, still making it, still believing it, it's still being the foundation of our lives and who we are, that, man, everything is going to be okay and not even death can keep us down. And that's why, as followers of Jesus, we have... In all of the world, listen, brothers and sisters, in all the world, as followers of Jesus, we have the only reason to be joyful at all. But we have every reason to be absolutely joyful and overflowing with joy and gratitude and working, just working our lives away for Jesus to his glory because he, in fact, is what all of the pretenders wish that they could be. He actually is God's son. And therefore, he actually is capable of reconciling us with our Father. And therefore, we really are, in fact, brothers and sisters, saved. And if you're in Christ today, that's one thing that you can say. Having made the good confession, obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can say that you have been added to the family of God, that through Jesus you've been adopted as a son or as a daughter. You are now a part of the great community of the offspring of God. And he loves you, and you love him. And Jesus has accomplished what you could not accomplish, accomplish on your own or for yourself. We read in John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69. And this is when Jesus has told some hard truths to those, his own people, who did not receive him, as we read from John 1. And Jesus says these words. After his, this, this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. In other words, they apostatized from Jesus. They turned away from Jesus. They stopped looking at Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they said, I, I no longer want to have anything to do with Jesus. So they turned their back on Jesus. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? You know, we look at Western civilization today, and I know that there are a lot of people that look back on 
times that they think of as better, at least with regard to the faith. And it is true that the rule of the day in Western civilization for the past half century plus has been a growing apostasy. There's no doubt about that. The world has gotten worse. Nobody's invented new ways to sin. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just that there seems to be more and more of it, right? And so we look around with alarm because the culture is different than it was when we were children. And some of you older than me, I mean, you can look back and and remember a time when there was nobody in the community you grew up in that did not confess to be a Christian uh, in some way or some shape or form or fashion or some type. And that has drastically changed. But brothers and sisters, there are still some ways in which the church has gotten better in spite of the world getting worse. In fact, I've never known a time in my life when this congregation has been more spiritually healthy than it is now. Praise the Lord. He's still on the throne. Though the world turns away, the world will do what the world does. But those who make the good confession, who keep the good confession, hey man, we just keep getting better if we'll remain faithful to Jesus. In the end, we'll stand with him in glory, and it'll be shown that we've chosen the right side of history, that we've chosen the Lord of history, the one who owns history in all time, and he'll own us as well. And so Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. My brothers and sisters, I tell you this, there's nowhere else to go. There's no one else to whom you can go. And I will tell you for my part, I know, I know that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God. I've believed and come to know that this is true. And I am extremely grateful to look across an auditorium full of people that have come to this same realization and that are building your lives upon the same basis of truth so that we are, in fact, brothers and sisters in the family of our God because of what Jesus has done. Regardless of our ethnic background, regardless of our socioeconomic status, regardless of how grievously we sinned before we came to Christ, regardless of how grievously we may have fallen after we've come to Christ, by coming back to Jesus and continuing each day to wake up and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so help me, God, from today forward, I'm going to serve Him. That's what it means to be a Christian. And you'll fail sometimes, but you get back up and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Where else can I go but to the Son of God? There is nowhere else to go. And so we come to him empty-handed, broken-hearted, spiritually bankrupt. And he, the owner of everything, including time, who upholds all things by the word of his power, makes us alive, and he makes us rich. This is the glorious truth that flows from the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I look forward to exploring this concept more over the course of this month, but I want to ask you this morning, have you ever made the good confession? 
If you understand that Jesus Christ is Lord and you know that you've got sin in your life, you know that you're morally bankrupt because you have failed God, you've sinned against him, and therefore you're in danger of his divine judgment. You've got nothing to bring to him. All that you can do is come before him, literally or in your heart, to, to fall to your knees and say, I have nothing and no one, Lord, if I don't have you. And today, today before this assembly, you can make the good confession. You can say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And based upon that confession, turning from your self-guided life full of sin, you can dedicate yourself to be his servant from here on out, and you'll not do a great job of it, but by his grace... Jesus' sacrifice will make it good enough. He'll make it good enough. You can be baptized into his death, raised to walk in newness of life. You can begin to be what the rest of us are, children of God through Jesus our Lord, saved people, full of hope, full of grace, full of truth, full of purpose, full of meaning, and rich beyond human comprehension. This morning, if you are a baptized believer that needs the prayers of this church, for whatever reason, front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.